It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist, featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by your friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. He writes for The Athletic. He's our good friend, Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. Hi, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon to you. Uh, thanks for coming on. I uh, want to ask you, uh, lots to ask you about, actually, but let's start with uh, a story you've been on the front lines reporting. It looks like uh, you're headed for uh, sunny Florida, right? Yeah, most likely. I mean, Orlando's definitely the front runner in this thing. Um, seems to be on track to get the bid. Uh, you know, as of yesterday and today, certainly the uh, information coming our way is that they seem to be honing in on a, uh, a one-city format as opposed to splitting it up. But also, I mean, it's, you know, these, these conversations are fascinating from the standpoint of, of all the different voices, uh, in you know, kind of in Adam Silver's ears, the players, the owners, the coaches, the agents, all of the above. So, um, yeah, it, it does appear that the league's preference for sure is to do Orlando. It's a more controlled environment. It's private property where you can – create, you know, kind of a, a medical bubble without having it necessarily feel like a medical bubble and maybe let people have a little bit of freedom without risking their health. So, you know, a lot for the league to uh, to get through here, but that's certainly the direction it seems to be going. So, Sam, other than what you just mentioned there, what is what is evolving here that is making it possible at last to, to, to see uh, a light at the end of the tunnel? Oh, I mean, for one, um, you know, the players themselves, I believe this is accurate, you know, they are healthy, that there has not been any sort of outbreak in the player community and the coaching community. Then if you look at Orlando specifically, um, it's technically speaking, it's right outside of Orange County. Um, not, I mean, Disney World is. Orlando's in Orange County. But the numbers in terms of the coronavirus in that part of the country, even though Florida has been pretty hard hit, that part of the country has been very mild and I think, you know, mild enough that that matters to the NBA. Now they have had to, and I think are continuing to try to get answers when it comes to testing and make it, you know, I, I think they have high confidence. They get the number of tests that they need, but, but the turnaround on having those tests processed um, is something they've continued to work through the hotel situation is a little bit tricky. Uh, and honestly, the people who have been pushing for Vegas, I think, have an edge on the hotel front because you have more equity when it comes to quality of hotel in Vegas for these you know, multimillionaire pro athletes than you do in Orlando where there's more discrepancy between hotels. So um, I, I think, honestly, just my opinion, guys, is it's two things. It's the, uh, the optics of trying to save the season in Orlando, a place that is known for wholesomeness and wide open spaces far more than, a, than you know, let's just be real, like a place that's nicknamed Sin City in Vegas where the optics are different. And so that matters. And then also, the, the you know, the NBA has got a partnership with Disney. They own ESPN, one of the main media partners. And I think that synergy and some of that infrastructure comes into play here too. 
Sam, do we are we any closer to knowing what it's going to look like? Regular season games, everybody coming back, just playoffs. Do we know any of this yet? No. Um, continue to hear, you know, some scenarios that, that involve something in addition to the playoffs. Now, is that a certain number of regular season games? Is that a, a play-in tournament, which honestly I think would be pretty spectacular, potentially, uh, and, and maybe as a way to incentivize those teams at the bottom that don't really want to get on a plane and go take part, you know, mainly like the Warriors. Um, that's that's where I don't know where this is going to land. I mean, I, you know, one idea today that has been pushed that I think would be fascinating just to give you a sense of it, and, and you know, the disclaimer here is that there's probably 72 different proposals on Adam Silver's desk. But, um, you know, if you had, like, the top seven in each conference – you know, are, are getting first-round buys, and then you have the bottom 16 teams are doing a play-in tournament, March Madness style, and so maybe you have the Warriors playing the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, or actually, it'd be yeah, that'd be right because Memphis is eighth. You know, and, and and then have everything be on the line. Now those teams might hate it because you worked all year to get that eighth spot, and it could be gone in the blink of an eye. So maybe that doesn't ultimately end up happening. But those are the kinds of creative ideas they're kicking around. And, and they're trying to get the extra cash that comes with the regional sports networks, too. If, if you get your team to 70 re, uh, regional sports network games, you get you know a, a whole lot more revenue than you would have otherwise. But personally, I think that threshold is going to be too hard to reach for a lot of teams. Uh, they, they still have a little bit of a ways to go because of national TV games. Um, so, again, I'm, I'm giving you guys a lot to chew on here, but that – it's kind of emblematic of what's happening here. There's just a, a ton of elements here. So, Sam, four months from now, five months, six months, two years, three years, how, when we look back at this potential postseason or this scenario of the finishing of the season, what are we going to make of it? Why are we going to are we going to put this in a separate category? Are we going to say, yeah, that team was uh, NBA champions? They are just like every other team. No, I think it'll be, you know, there's going to be an asterisk. Um, it's funny because, like, off-air, Austin just mentioned that story I just wrote about the 25 most dominant teams of all time, and you know, I chose to include the uh, the 98-99 Spurs. You know, they they uh, only played a 50-game season, but they were 37-13, and 15-2 and two in the playoffs, and, you know, I, I just I didn't have it in me to say, oh, that doesn't count. So, you know, I, I think whoever gets the championship – you know, like, like you'll hear players and coaches say, like, I don't care how I got it. Like, it's hard to get, and it's it's extremely hard. And so, um, that being said, with the fans and maybe with some media, it's always going to be looked at a little bit differently. And certainly, if you have something really outside the box, like a play-in tournament, because, you know, let's say that, uh, uh, you know, that, that something crazy happens in there that, that just might not have otherwise been even possible if they kept it conventional, then that could change the way people look at it. But um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is, too. On the money side, they are doing everything they can, bending over backwards, to not lose what ultimately could be in the $2 billion range. I mean, $900 million in, in national TV money. Uh, if they don't have the playoffs, um, there's just a ton of stake financially. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Talking about uh, the, the Utah Jazz, we found out this week that uh, Boyan Bogdanovich is going to have surgery, on, or did have, I should say, surgery on his wrist and is going to miss the remainder of the season, whatever it may look like. 
how uh, I guess how badly does that hurt the Jazz chances of, of competing? No, it hurts for sure. Uh, I mean, if you want to put like a glasses half full spin on it, there is part of me that says that you know when when they went into the year, I really 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 liked their mix and and admittedly, I I, I think you know I did not anticipate the kinds of chemistry struggles that they ultimately had with Mike Conley trying to find his way and whatnot. I wonder with this, you know, I don't know, like if, if you're losing that kind of scoring, does that kind of put somebody like Mike into uh, a, a good kind of corner, meaning he's got to find a way to, to channel that, you know, be that guy that he was before in Memphis from a scoring standpoint. And even Donovan. Donovan was trying to get to know Mike Conley, fit with Boyan, and, you know, feed Rudy, you know, and then, and then find Joe on the wings whenever he was available. And that's just a lot to get through for a guy who I do think is a good playmaker, but, uh, you know, that's you know, put it in kind of quarterback parlance. That's, that's asking a guy to make the third and fourth read. Uh, and it's an abundance of talent that, that I do think we saw came with some chemistry issues. So I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like who knows? Maybe it becomes one of those kind of roster things that happens where they end up finding, you know, figuring it out. Uh, but but at face value, it's a really tough loss because they have struggled to have enough scores on the floor for years now, and him being part of the program obviously was supposed to help with that. Along with that team chemistry thing, Sam, uh, and maybe we've mentioned this to you before, but I'm I'm always curious to see how it's going to work out when a team when a season gets interrupted like this. Who has the advantage, a team that just has superior athletes or a team that depends on a really smooth uh, kind of uh, operating system? And, and I, I wonder if that's going to put certain teams at a disadvantage uh, in Orlando, if this is where it all happened. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I mean, for one, you mentioned the talent and the athleticism. Within that, I would say – uh, you know, what kind of shape is everybody going to be in and, and who's winning that war, so to speak. You know, Doc Rivers, the Clippers coach, has coined this phrase of, of winning the weight. That's what he's telling his guys about the suspension of the season. You need to win this waiting period, which means get up and do your work in the morning, stay off the of tortilla chips, stay off the of couch, um, put yourself in a good position to be up and running. And, and then you see, like, and it's just social media stuff, but, like, you know, these players will occasionally flex on social media with their workouts. You know, Russell Westbrook doing some incredible stuff uh, on, I'm assuming, the L.A. beaches. I think he's in L.A. Um, you know, on the beach. Or Jimmy Butler in his personal gym just going crazy and, and making it at least appear that they are really putting the work in. That stuff is going to show itself when we get back. Now, granted, they're going to have a training camp, and so maybe there's, you know, it all kind of comes out of the wash because of that after a couple of weeks of these teams being back together. But um, from an athletic sports standpoint, that is going to be very fascinating to watch because we've never seen, we've seen lockouts that come to an end, but this kind of a run-up is I still, I think, unique. Uh, and then, you know, also just the fact that, you know, it, the lockout's one thing, but you could go, run with anybody you wanted in the closest gym. These guys, a lot of them, the young guys, have been stuck in apartments, maybe didn't have the hoop 
you got guys who are known as shooters talking about how they went five weeks without picking up a ball. Uh, you know, that's the part that's definitely unprecedented. And I don't, you know, we'll see what the ripple effect is when they actually get back out of the court. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And, Sam, in, in Major League Baseball, it appears that there's going to be some bumps in the road over finances, right, with the with the revenue split. And I, I know that the NBA and, and their structure is, is different and they'd be different issues. But it, does it appear like financially the players in the, the league are on the same page? Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, I have not heard anything otherwise that – you know, it seems like it's fairly cut and dried. I mean, for now, you've got the players obviously started missing checks, and you've got a lot of incentive to uh, to, to get back out there. But it's just a different landscape. But uh, the thing I would highlight is that the trust level between Adam Silver and the player community in the NBA is vastly different than baseball. You know, and, and Rob Manfred, it's just trust is not the same. Um, the lack of a salary cap. In baseball, you know, and I get it, you know, but has their players um, extremely concerned with the ripple effect of agreeing to any sort of salary cap type structure now? And so they are focused on the long term, the big picture, and protecting what they have been able to kind of preserve now and in the past. Um, Basketball is just structured differently, and you combine that, you know, with the trust itself and the fact that. They don't wake up in the morning thinking that Adam Silver is is trying to screw them over, so to speak. Then, you know, you're seeing how these solutions are starting to come. So, Sam, for those who didn't see your piece uh, about the most dominant uh, championship teams, who do you have as the most dominant? The '95, '96 Bulls. The uh, not not real surprising. It's uh, the '72 and '10 Bulls. I think there were 15. I don't have it in front of me, but I think 15 and three. In the playoffs, um, you know, it was it was a fun project, but honestly, taxing in, in terms of really trying to do the research and, and you know, and you can relate, Gordon, on the writing side, like making sure that I didn't forget about any really really relevant subplots, you know, like uh-huh. um, to give you one example, I almost had a really bad gaff. The '88 '89 Pistons were higher on my list than they should have been. They went 15 and two in the playoffs. They won maybe 67 games in the regular season. And I was giving them all kinds of love. And then near the end of the process, uh, I stumbled on the fact that I had forgotten, because I was a, a little guy at the time, I had forgotten that when they swept the Lakers in the finals, Magic got hurt in game two, and there was no Byron Scott, which I know that sounds like, you know, you're, you're kind of nitpicking, but in this type of a list, you know, like that's those are the types of things that, that might bump you up or down a couple of spots. And so... You know, okay, the, you swept the Lakers team, but it wasn't really the Lakers team. And so let's move you on the list a little bit. But it was fun. I mean, the Bulls were a pretty easy choice. I, I gave a lot of credence to playoff dominance. Um, you know, but even the statistical stuff, they, they came out better than anybody. It's net rating certainly paid a lot of attention to, you know, margin of victory, uh, things like that. And, and so, you know, it was an unofficial formula, too, where, Sustained success, uh, you know, would get you up the list. So the '97, '98 Bulls, for example, weren't as dominant as some of the previous Bulls teams. But by the time you get to that point, and you know, you're winning six titles in the span of, of seven years, you know, with Michael being gone in between, I guess eight years, um, then you know, then you get some love for that. But if nothing else, it was a reminder 
uh, some obviously incredible teams in the history of this game and, and a lot of incredible players that were part of it. Sam, you are the best. Truly a highlight of the week. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you, Sam. Sam Amick from The Athletic, uh, your daily assist right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What do you think, Gordon? Uh, you get the most dominant team right? Beats the heck out of me, man. I, the more I think about those things, uh, uh, the, the, the less certain I am about stating it as an absolute. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, those teams he had at the top are, are really, really good teams. I what's, the best sure. team you, what's the best team you ever saw play, Jake? Just judging it according to what you saw with your own eyes. Best team ever. Let's see. I'm talking about the, NBA. Well, Through your so, own eyes, Jake. So the, the yeah. 1999 uh, Michael Vick-led Virginia Tech Hokies are out then. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about see. the NBA. Yeah, come the on. The NBA, the best team. It'd be, it'd be tough for me to argue against the, against that Bulls team. Um you know, some of these Golden State teams have been really yeah. dominant. I mean, because, yeah. you know, was it ever a foregone conclusion that the Bulls were going to win the title like it has been with the Warriors over the past several years? Uh, well, I guess it depends on who you talk to. I mean, isn't that kind of the definition of dominance when other teams are making plans down the road because they know they could never beat you? Well, if you're supposed to single out uh, uh, the most dominant team, do you also have to measure the level of competition? I think so. Don't you? Were the teams back in the 80s better than the teams of the 90s, better than the teams now? Uh, it's it's tough. It, it's really hard to, uh, to, 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 to weigh all that. It is. And, uh, you know, you, you look at how the salary cap uh, has affected the, the spreading out of players. You know, maybe some of those older teams were more dominant because you could have more of, a, um, you know, more of the best players in the league on one team. Right? I mean, that's the only reason the 80s uh, Lakers were any good. Would you agree with Sam that, uh, that <laughs> some of those... You're not even going to react no. to that? No. That some of the Spurs teams uh, were uh, some of the most dominant because of the way they played together. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. That's, I mean, that's such a subjective question. Although it, it sounds like Sam really put a tremendous amount of thought into his list. That's L a k e r s. I, I'll, I'll throw, the, I'll throw the eighty five, eighty six Celtics team in there. Some of those Laker teams of the eighties were just fantastic. Um, uh, I agree with you that you could throw uh, a Warrior team or two in there. Uh, would you put any of LeBron's teams in there? I was just thinking about that. Any of those Heat teams? Nah. Uh, hmm. I they lost know. to the I, Mavericks. How dominant are you if you lose to the Mavericks? I'm not putting any of the Piston teams up there. Well, it, there was some bitterness in your voice there. No, I... I didn't like the way they played basketball so much, but uh, I'm trying what to about be the, the What about the Michael Adams-led Washington Bullets? I know they didn't win a, ti- a title, Gordon, but they were still really good. What about the Alex English Nuggets teams? 
I, I prefer the uh, I, I prefer the West unselled Baltimore Bullet teams. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, all right, man. <laughs> it, it's really we all do it. We all compile these lists, but when you think about it, it really is kind of silly. 